Welcome to The Word, people, where we bring you straight up Sales 411. You get to chill and hang with the best and the brightest in the sales industry. And we don't do it boring, we do it with swagger. So let's go, people. It is awesome. What's up, people? Welcome to The Word. The Word. Yes, where it's all about a jolt of Sales 411 with my sidekick, Kira Moore. How you doing, Kiki? Super. Very happy to be here. Yes, yes, I love these. This is going to be a good one today. Listen, folks, the word is where you come to get to upgrade your sales game without being bored, without old school to play and play well in the 21st century selling game. This week, we have a killer guest. I'm very honored to have him. He is the CEO of Patron Technology. He is playing in a fun niche space where I think we need more, right? I'll let him tell you all about it, but it's in the arts, and I dig the arts. So with no further ado, my boy Gene Carr. Welcome, Gene. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yes. Now, where are you by chance? I can't tell. Yeah, I'm in New York City. I don't know, you know, why you can't tell. There's that building, you know. It's, it's, uh, I'm in New York City, right smack dab in the middle. Awesome. We, awesome. We, can, we can look out our window and watch the ball drop on New Year's Eve. That's a beautiful thing, although something tells me you don't want anything to do. You personally being in New York, you don't want anything to do with that ball on New Year's Eve. That's about right. <laughs> You're like, you like to get as far away as possible, huh? Yes, sir. Right. <laughs> listen, listen. Um, we're on episode 37. Gene, thanks for joining us. Uh, guys, in full disclosure, Gene it is, is and has been a client of mine for quite some time, but I wanted to bring him on because his story is fantastic and it's phenomenal. What Gene has been able to do with his sales team and what he's been able to, and how he's been able to transform them over the last several years has been just absolutely amazing. There's been some very clear steps. There's been some very clear um, moments in time where, where, you know, it was tough, which was going to happen. He wasn't sure where it was going to be, but it all came together to, to really create some interesting things that I wanted Gene, to share that experience with though with you today, because those of you who are running sales teams, those of you who are startups and are going to have to begin to scale your sales teams, there are a lot of learnings in here that I think Gene can share and provide tremendous insight and blow this up and give you guys some tangible stuff to be looking at, focusing on, managing, measuring, and then some. So this is going to be a really good word. So let's just jump into it. Gene, talk to us, talk to us, talk to us, baby. What happened? Where and why did you even think there was anything wrong with your sales team in the first place? You were selling shit, right? Yeah, actually, the, my, initial, my initial interest wasn't that I felt like there was a problem with the sales team. The problem I had was that I had no insight, no predictability, no confidence in understanding where sales were going to be in three months, six months, and nine months. I... I, I literally every month would cower in the corner waiting for the 30th day of the month and I'd look and say, oh good, we made sales. But the next month, <laughs> I have no idea. So we were doing it, but I didn't know why it was working or I didn't know why it wasn't working. I, 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 I felt like we were out there in a certain way making it up as we went and it was good, but but I felt like we could use, and I personally could use, some structure, some best practices, and all, all, all of those things that, that, in a way, we were doing things 
um, on our own, and it was working, but it didn't give me a lot of confidence. So, so even though you you look under there and oh, we made it, we made it. Why wasn't that good enough? Like, you, you, how long have you been making it for more than yeah. several years, right? For a while. It was fine, but listen, when you run a business, particularly a business in startup mode, your your entire world revolves around cash. Right? You've got to know what's coming in and when it's coming in. And if I could have had the confidence to know what next month and the month after and the month after was going to look like, I could sleep at night. So, sure, looking back, the last quarter of the last month, sure, that was great. But, but just because we did X or Y or Z in the past, I couldn't point to the reasons why in the future things were or weren't going to look as good. There were no metrics around the pipeline, there was no metrics that I could point to that I even understood. So it wasn't like things were bad, it was more about the future and it was more about my confidence in running a growing business and being able to assure myself where we would be in three, six, nine months. All right, so, so why is that, like why or what was it? You had been selling every month, you looked under there, you figured out, what was the final straw? Why did you finally say, look, I, I think I'm missing something, I need to change, I need to do something else. What was it? Um, I, I, I think that obviously we were trying to grow the business. We were going to try to grow the sales team. But um, I, I, I guess the, the, the fundamental was that I felt innately that there were things I didn't know about how to run and build a great sales team. And I felt like there were industry best practices, there were things that we might have been doing intuitively, things that we were doing right or wrong. I just felt like um, that we would put ourselves, I, I I would sort of increase the probability of success, if not our success, by trying to essentially soak up everything I could soak up about how professional sales teams are run and managed and organized, soup to nuts. Because again, we'd be doing it based on sort of gut feel. And, and I mean, I'll use a sports analogy, right? If, if, if you're a golfer and you know, you're doing pretty well, but nobody's ever analyzed your swing, you don't know why you're doing well. You just know, okay. But if a professional comes and says, you know, if you move your left foot a quarter of an inch, your results in a fair way are going to be much better. Well, I wanted that, right? I wanted the expert guidance because I wanted to know that, frankly, I wanted to give the company the most probability. I wanted to increase the probability of success. Okay. All right. I love that analogy. That analogy was awesome. It sort of speaks to the I don't know what I don't know type of concepts. That was, That's that was great. That's All right. So, so we're looking back right now. Describe, you said you were making, you, you were selling, you were growing. Describe yeah. what your sales team looked like, you know, then. What, what was your sales team then? How would you describe it? Um, you know, I, um, I had people on the sales team who were very enthusiastic about selling the product. A lot of them come out of the industry. They had been at the company for a while, and they, again, we had been making things up as we go. But, but the fundamental thing that, that, that changed, and, and this, was, this is going to sound incredibly naive, but I figured if people come to work every day, 
and they really mean to do a good job, um, they're going to do a good job, and they're just going to deliver what they can deliver, and why do we need any metrics? Why do we need quotas? Why do we need commits? Why do we need quarterly goals? Because, after all, they're going to deliver what they're going to deliver. What I came to understand, again, is when you create structure and when you create goals, especially when you have a group of people that work together, and one of the things that I'm, we'll jump a little bit ahead, but one of the things we absolutely positively have here at this company is a very collaborative and supportive sales team. There's no lack of competition, and everybody on the team is, is competitive with, with getting to making their sales, but, but everybody on the team also understands it's a team effort. And if somebody is struggling with a problem, they're going to jump in and help. And, and I, I didn't know how to help them. I didn't know what kind of help I needed to provide. So we had a, a sales team of folks that came to work every day, and I didn't give them any guidance. There was no such thing as coaching. Okay, we, 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 didn't, we, had, we had weekly meetings, and I'd say, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fun. Like, again, all of the things that I have now come to understand are things that great sales companies do around pipeline and commits and coaching and refinement and books and all of those. Th we just weren't doing any of that. It was working fine, but X years later, I realized that truthfully, we, we and I, we were failing our people. We weren't giving them the guidance that they needed. We weren't giving them the, the, the coaching. We weren't really, you know, in, in a certain way, if you provide, if you the company or you a sales leader, if you provide your team with all sorts of things to help them succeed, sales enablement tools and goals and quota and coaching and all of that, and they don't perform, then it's a lot easier to look somebody in the eye and say, hey, I, 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 I'm trying here. What's going on? <laughs> you don't do anything. If you just let them do something on their own, which is what we did years and years ago, what well, was kind of hard to say, well, why aren't you achieving more? Because we, 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 we weren't holding up our end of the bargain. And I, and I, and I feel like one of the things that, um, one of the things that, that I learned really uh, in a fundamental way that I really truly didn't fully appreciate is this notion of coaching. Uh, the truth is, is that I, I'm running the sales team in our company, but I also am the CEO and founder, so I run the business. But the part of the business that I focus on most directly is sales. But the truth is, I have had, for the last 10 years, mentors and coaches and advisors for me as a CEO, all a variety of people over the years, helping me to, frankly, not mess up and to do better and to challenge me and to make me do a better job. It's just something that I felt like I needed. But I didn't fully recognize that folks in the sales role need that kind of coaching as well. And, and, and when I say coaching, by the way, sometimes I find that people hear the word coaching and they, they think not coaching like, like Andre, uh, like, like uh, um, uh, you know, a great basketball player or a great tennis player has a coach. Serena Williams coaches right there uh, in the stands, and nobody questions that Serena Williams, the greatest tennis player of our generation, needs a coach. But somehow there's this, oh, if you need a coach, you must not be good at your job. 
And, yeah. Right? And you have to, you have to d disconnect that. The fact is, when you create a culture of coaching, people become more open to saying what they're struggling with. And as long as people say what they're struggling with, then you can help them, and then they can help each other as opposed to having a deal that gets lost where after the fact you can say, well, why didn't we talk about that? And secretly you know that that person didn't want to bring it up. right? So you've got to have an openness in your sales team and, and in your relationship with your sales folks so that they feel open enough to be able to accept coaching. And in fact, I, I know this is a complete run on here. <laughs> I don't even know what you asked. I didn't know what the question was, but one of the things that I learned in, in finding account execs and interviewing is to interview for coachability. Uh, interview for, uh, and, and I'll tell you as an aside, I, um, uh, I, I have a, a, a sec, I, I was a, I'm an Oberlin, I'm an Oberlin College uh, graduate, Oberlin College. Oberlin! Oberlin. I went to Oberlin College. I also went to Oberlin Conservatory. I'm a professionally trained musician as well. And I'm You're involved. You're a one percenter. You're a one percenter. You're a one percenter at least in the cello, correct? I, I, I don't. I don't know if there's such a ranking, but I'll take it. Um, so I am involved at Oberlin right now as the co-chairman of an entrepreneurship program, where every year. Oberlin College students and alums are involved in a pitch competition. And it just happened this past weekend. And what was fascinating was that after the first round, uh, we, we hear the pitches, and then you do one-on-one -on -one sessions with the teams where you get to ask them a bunch of questions. And in the, in the first round, I asked one of the teams a question about their pricing strategy, and they gave me a lot of pushback. And they basically dug in their heels and said, you know, this is, and I, and I, and I, I detected, I detected uh, something that didn't make me feel that good. So in the Q&A session a couple hours later, I went right at them on pricing again. And, and they gave me a very defensive answer. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. And at the end of the day, I determined that this would not be a, a company worth investing in because the CEO and co-founder didn't want to listen to anybody, weren't willing to listen to anybody, and, in, and I'm relating this back to coaching because if I were interviewing those people for a job, my judgment would be very self-assured, obviously smart, but impossible to coach. And you know what? If, if people are not open to even accepting advice, I mean, these guys didn't even want to, if they had said, that's a very interesting idea, we don't agree with it, our thinking is this, but I'd like to talk to you more. That would have been an okay answer. But the answer is, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the way we're going to. So coachability has a lot to do with attitude. And it also, so you've got to get the person, you've got to identify a person who's willing to be coached. But then you have to create an environment in your, in your team where coaching is seen as a thing that will help everyone in the team get better is why there's a coach in every sport in America, there's a coach, because those folks that are in coaching roles are just trying to get those people to perform at their best. So anyway, I, I don't know what you want to So let's, well, we're going to get back to this, because I agree with you. And, and, and I wrote in Forbes that coaching is the number one specific, specific type of coaching, but coaching around call, 
call listening is the number one opportunity for sales growth in 2017. So I'd like you going with it. So I love this story, but I want to, I, I, we're going to come, we're going to add on to it in just a bit. But I want you to do two things for me here. One, tell everybody what you do. Share with me in the beginning, because you're in a really interesting space. You're a SaaS, you're a SaaS um, company, so again, everybody loves SaaS. You're in a really unique space, and tell me a little bit about your competition, and tell me about how that affected your way of viewing your sales team in the beginning, and then why it switched. Yeah. So we, uh, we run, as you, as you mentioned, we run a technology company, so our business centers around providing uh, a CRM system which includes ticketing, fundraising, and marketing in the United States for cultural organizations, those that sell tickets, theater, music, opera, dance, university, performing arts centers, museums, all of these kinds of organizations operate around converting their ticket buyers into repeat ticket buyers and converting their ticket buyers into donors. And in order to do that, in order to be successful, you need a completely integrated system that allows you to build relationships with customers, which is no different than Amazon or anybody in America is trying to do. Only the business sector we are in, which includes over 100,000 cultural nonprofits, is living in a world in which all these organizations have separate systems. They've got a separate system for ticketing and for fundraising and marketing, and they don't know who their customer is. So our solution, we partnered with Salesforce. We built our product, Patron Manager, within the Salesforce ecosystem on their force.com platform. So we're the only company in the world that has built box office ticketing for live events on Salesforce, and, and, and that is our business. Um, but what, what, I, what I've come to, that, that's, that's who we are. So who's your, so who your competition, and, and, how, and how did that affect you in the beginning when you first started selling and how you chose to sell? Yeah, so a lot of SaaS companies, and particularly the ones that we read about in the newspaper, are companies that are essentially inventing a new industry. Right? Before Twitter, there was no such thing. Before Facebook, yeah, there was Friendster and whatever, but they really started it. Before MySpace. Uber, yeah, MySpace. Before <laughs> Uber, there really wasn't any. So when you, when you innovate and you create a market sector, that's, that is a really interesting position. However, we are not in that space. We are in a business in which our competition are all companies that have been in the industry for 10 to 20 years. Now, each of the companies that competes with us competes in a certain sector of the market. We compete with ticketing-only companies. We compete with fundraising-only companies. We compete with companies that have client service systems. We're all in the cloud. So on some level, we overlap with a lot of our competitors, but the challenge for us is that we entered the market doing something radically different than had ever been done before, which is a complete platform-based cloud system. But obviously, all of our competitors had had 20 years to build every single individual feature that everybody could possibly imagine that they might want. And it's tough to enter a market like that because, as an upstart, you, you, you can only build as much as you can build at once. And, and what I now we're, we're already uh, six uh, plus, seven, almost seven years into our business. So in the beginning, the challenge for us was that we were selling a product that did a lot of things that nobody had, but it did some things 
that other companies had more of, right? We didn't have all of the, right? It didn't, and so do, it didn't do as much. It didn't do as much as what the the incumbents did. So right. there a lot of stuff they didn't do, but it didn't do enough of what the incumbents did. That, 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 and that was our challenge at the beginning. And I thought, I, I, I thought um, fundamentally that it was just a waiting game. We just build more features and build more features. And as we build more features, we get more market share. And to a certain extent, that's true. However, so you thought I, you had a product problem. You thought you had a product problem. Um, yes. And and I, I don't want to look. I don't want to. I don't want to paint with a brush too broad, right? On some level, there are some legitimate conversations where you look at a customer and say, you know, our product is not going to fit your needs. However, what, I, what I've come to understand and what we talk about and what we read about and what we, what we think about all the time is to try to guide customers into a conversation in which they explain what are the fundamental business problems, business challenges holding them back? Almost always, almost always, those business problems are solved by what we, what we offer. And the things on the margin that they may come up, somebody in their company may say, well, but it doesn't do this thing, are not fundamental. I'll give you, a, I'll use another analogy, right? Um, you're, we're selling a Tesla that gets 80 miles a gallon. And somebody else down the street is selling you know, a Chevrolet and it gets 30 miles to the gallon. The customer that walks in the door and says, I want the highest fuel mileage I can possibly buy because I believe that, the, that, that, that you know, gas mileage is my number one goal. If I'm demonstrating my Tesla and it doesn't have a specific feature that the Cadillac has, I will still buy the Tesla because my number one most important goal is satisfied by this Tesla. But, but what we experience is, uh, and we still experience it, is that somebody will come into the dealership and they'll look at the Tesla and they'll say, oh, but you know, the hubcaps, I really like five-spoke hubcaps. And your your thing only has three spokes, and I'm really I don't want to go backwards. I mean, I had three spokes before. I'm used to five. When I drive up, unless it has five spokes, I, I just can't, right? And and we do get that. But if you remind people of why they are there, if you in fact, furthermore, if you get them to to explain to you what it is, and 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 again, I'm I'm rambling, but you told me I could ramble. Here's what, here's what I have also found to be one of the most challenging things about sales. Yeah, you got you to finish that. You, you got right to the precipice and you didn't finish it. So I want the five-spoke hubs cap. They forgot why they want to buy. So what do you do? And how do you, as how does the sales team? You, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to say, excuse me, I'm confused. <laughs> you told me when you walked in the door, the most important thing for you was 80 miles a gallon. We are delivering twice as many miles to the gallon, because we use a completely new technology than the other thing, that's what you told me. Am I perhaps mistaken? And oftentimes when you do that, they back off, right? Because How does that relate to your sales team, right? What was your sales team doing before, and now what are they doing? And how did you cross that category? It's exactly the same example, right? The, 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 the before is that we didn't have a path. We didn't have a strategy to address 
the unimportant but 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 uh, disruptive questions, right? We did not have a strategy, and and and, yeah, and listen, it's it's very very easy in a sales role to get sucked into a debate over something that's wholly unimportant because the person that's talking to you thinks it's important, right? You you can't tell somebody, listen, what you're telling me is not important because that's insulting, but you've got to be good at letting them talk letting them get it out of their system, and then backing off and saying, hold on, I hear you. Let's talk about how important that is and why is that thing that you're talking to me holding back your business because you told me your goal was this. And I've showed you how we can deliver this. And, and if you do that well, they ought to back off because they ought to realize that they're, sort of get, they're getting themselves stuck in their own weeds. Now, it's hard, and people get very, very stuck over minute things that, um, that are really, uh, they think, for that moment, they are the most important thing in the world. And, 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 and the sales team, to your question, like, what did we do before? We didn't know what to do, right? We would humor all those things, and we basically try to say yes to everything, because saying yes equated to making the sale. But now you got yourself in trouble in the past. You sold things that you couldn't deliver on right away, right? I mean, did uh, you used to do that once in a while, or you found it down the road. It, it definitely was the case. Listen, people, we've had to work very hard as a software company. You never want to tell people that they're going to have some feature that you don't have by X date. It's a, it's a bad, it's a bad. We don't do it. However, people also hear what they want to hear. They hear what they want to hear. And I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to give you a real sales example. Um, this happened uh, a couple of months ago. There was a feature uh, in our product that was coming down the roadmap that this organization told us was super important, and we had been way down the sales process, way down. And we were right at the point of them trying to make a decision. And the VP got on the phone with our account executive, and they discussed this one feature that we don't have. And our sales executive said, Listen, I'm not going to whitewash this. We don't have that feature. We, we not only that, we can't even tell you when we're going to have that feature. It's on our roadmap and we will deliver it, but I cannot guarantee you that. And, and, and apparently, from what I hear in this conversation, the person on the other side said, I hear you. We want to work with you, and I appreciate your honesty. That's not a critical feature right away. If we, we trust that you're going to build it and it's important, but by by essentially telling them, being honest and saying, this is not that important, we're going to eventually build it, force the person to essentially back off and say, no, 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 you're right. I want I want how this. Did you, how did you shift that culture? Because obviously salespeople were, like you said earlier, they were afraid to say it. They, they, they thought it would meant they'd lose the deal. So yeah. you were selling the features and functional products before. How did you make the switch? Like really specifically, if people listen to this and they struggle with this sales org and their sales org, what do you tell them? What should they do? How do they transition and how did you do it? Um, there's a couple things. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's, there's the brute force way, <laughs> which is, you know, you, 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 let me say it this way. First of all, we, you, you only need to get burned a couple times. You only need to get burned a couple times to realize that the price you pay later 
is far greater than the price you pay now. If you promise something to somebody that you can't deliver and then you don't deliver it, you know what happens? Your company goes into a tailspin of customer service, of anger, people don't trust you, the CEO has to get on the phone, you have to give them a price decrease, you've got to give them a refund. There is a, so I try to explain to the sales team that just making the sale, but a sale that's toxic, a sale that is essentially they're going to hand to their, to their colleagues in customer service, that's going to turn into a snowball of complaints later, that doesn't help anybody. So what I've tried to do is to try to uh, help the sales team understand holistically the life cycle of the customer and what happens after the sale is made and what happens during implementation, what happens later because they, I, I want the sales team not to only think about themselves, I want the sales team to think about the company. And, and but, truthfully, but doesn't the sales team then, but then the sales team then say, okay, I'll do that, but they're not going to buy from me. They're not going to buy because they don't have that feature. Right? So, so I like the brute force, but I've seen it a million times. The salespeople start saying, well, we don't have this feature, so they're not going to buy. What you learned wasn't the case. Right? So, so when, when, once you started the brute force, how did you teach the sales team and what did you teach the sales team in how to change their selling so that they, didn't have to, they had confidence that just because they didn't have a feature didn't mean they were going to lose the deal? Yeah, I mean, listen, this is, this is not simple. But one of the things that we have talked about and continue to talk about is, is and I'm going to weave in something I didn't get to earlier. One of the things we I find in my observation, and we'll get to the recording thing in a minute, I find that oftentimes customers don't articulate, don't, can't necessarily articulate their problems. They, 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 they call up and you say, well, why are we on the phone? Why are you talking to us? Well, and they, and they don't give you enough information. And first, first point that we did is to try to work with the sales team to continually probe and probe and probe to get to the heart of the issue. Well, I don't like the user interface for the customer, the ticketing. Uh, in our case, you know, we don't, why don't you like your existing system? Well, I don't like the user. Well, what about it don't you like? Why isn't it any good? Well, I don't like the buttons, but why? Oh, well, the but you on a cell phone, you can't because it's not responsive. Ah, so now I've heard that you have a functional problem. Well, how is that holding you back? Okay, well, it's holding me back because most companies are selling 30% on their on mobile and we're only selling 10% and we think our sales are going down because people can't buy and now I can quantify. Now I can say, you have a risk factor of 20%. Your current system is providing this. We can solve that problem. That 20% can translate into a dollar figure. And you can explain what that gap is. And you can put a number on it. And you can talk about how that hurts their business. Suddenly, you can have a really compelling conversation with a customer to get them to move to make a decision. Now you're not talking about features and functionality. You're talking about their business goals that they cannot achieve. So, so let's look at love that example. So now I'm a, the client, the salesperson gets the prospect to do all of that. And then later in the sale, the prospect says, hey, look, I'm looking at XYZ over here, and you don't have this feature, and I want this feature. Take, take it to the next step. So what have you trained your salespeople to do to leverage that early information? 
and, and get over that I don't have the feature argument anymore. Well, for, for, for one thing, there's, so there's two things. And, and I also want to I want to give an example of something that happened just the other day. But to start with, here's the other thing we weren't doing a great job of. God, you're going to, I forgot all this. So we, we, we now, our sales process now starts with a discovery call. Okay? The discovery call is separate from a product demonstration. The discovery call sets aside all of the looking at the product and talks to the customer about their business. Based on the discovery call, we map out, in the ideal world, we map out, okay, here are their business problems, here's the demo that I'm going to show them because the demo is going to line up exactly with their business problems. Look, we have a product that, that could take four or five hours if you wanted to see every nook and cranny. Nobody has the attention span. You might get people to spend 45 minutes of really good attention. So if I'm a salesperson, I want to get to the heart of what are their three or four most important business problems that we can solve, and I want to demo them, right? In the old days, and you're asking, where did we start? In the old days, the, the discovery and the demo happened at the same time. Well, I won't even call discovery. Discovery is what's your name, what's your business, and then they would give a generic demo, right? And then in the middle of the demo, they'd say, well, now we want to show you this. And then they're like, well, we don't do that. Well, now you've gone down a whole rabbit hole that you didn't need to go down. So it took a while, and I mean a while, before the sales team and we decided, you know what? We're going to split out a separate discovery call. And if nobody, I'll tell you what, this was the most interesting moment. We had a big debate about whether prospects would agree to take the time to do a discovery call. And, and right now, if we can't get the prospect to take the time to do a discovery call, we know they're not going to be a good customer. That's already an insight, an insight about how that organization is going to think about making a decision. And, and the organizations that do the best discovery calls, you learn a lot. You learn around about their process. You learn about how they think. You learn about how their business problems affect their business. So, so the first answer to your question is we listen to the whole discovery, and in listening, we can identify if there are gaps. And then when you do the demo, you can prepare for them. You can prepare your demo to work around those things, not to be deceitful, but to line up all of the – listen, a, a great example uh, – um, uh, 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 we had this we had this example. Of, I'm, I'm mashing together a couple, but you know we had an organization that sold four or five thousand tickets a year, and and in the in the and we knew that there was one little aspect of the thing that we did not yet develop. Well, we also found out that 80 people, eight zero, 80 people were affected by that. So we knew that from the discovery call. So when we were doing the product demo and that came up, we had already thought about the, the ways that we could help that customer do the same thing with the, our system. And it wasn't, you know, because so, so you've got to prepare. You've got to think through your strategy. Gene, that's powerful. That's powerful. For people listening, I don't want that to be glossed over. Because in essence, what, you, what you're saying to people is the, the prospect had a concern about the lack of a feature that you had that they could have used in their decision process because they themselves hadn't really thought about the impact of that single feature on the organization. And it was up to you and your sales team to really crystallize 
guys, this really isn't that a big deal in comparison to everything else that you're trying to get done. And had you not done that in the past, would you have lost a deal like that or potentially lost a deal like that? Uh, I, I, inevitably, it would have slowed down if not scuttled the deal. So, you know, that, 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 is, that is a big piece of, of, of I mean, look, the, 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 the thing that I wanted to go back to, and, and um, this is something that, uh, that, I've, that I've come to realize recently, even after doing this for years and years and years, you know what's the most important quality in a salesperson, uh, I think, is the ability, not, I don't want to say the ability to listen, it's the ability to understand fundamentally what somebody is saying, what their problem is, because sometimes the words out of somebody's mouth aren't really their problem. They'll say words, blah, 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 <laughs> but, but until you back off and say, okay, what I hear you saying is that you have this, but really your problem is not that. Your problem is really that. And a lot of times they don't articulate it until you, like you just said, you know, you had a product problem, you had a, you had a strategy problem. A lot of times they themselves need the help. They need the guidance to think through their problems. And so the most successful uh, uh, conversations that I've had are all around listening carefully. Listening carefully. Look, I, 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 you know, every single day you're going to get objections about something in sales. But if you listen carefully and really come up with the strategic answer to the question as opposed to sort of, it's, it's, not the, it's not the, you know, those tennis machines that throw the balls at you and, you know, like, <laughs> that, what you really want to do is listen. And, and if there's anything that I have learned recently, it is almost every question, almost every question can be responded to with, the, with, with, a, with another word. And the word is why. Well, we need this. Why do you need it? Well, we but but why do you need that? Well, well, how does that affect your business? Why does it affect? And a lot of times in sales, the person either will be able to articulate it in a way that you didn't hear before, or they won't be able, or they'll say to you, and this has happened to us a lot, they'll go down the rabbit hole and then they'll go, you know what? <laughs> it's not that important after all. <laughs> they, they themselves they themselves, like, they talk themselves out of it. They're like, oh, yeah, you're right. It's not. So, uh, you know, I so think. How did you, so how did you, so this is great stuff. So, again, let's give the listeners something to take home. How did you transform the team? List three things that you did that someone could use, if it fits, to do, if they're so struggling with these same types of things, right? Three things that you did. One was the discovery, right? You separate discovery from the, from the uh, from the demo, right? So I'm sure there was some training you had to do around discovery, et cetera. But what are three things that someone wants to think about when they want to transform their sales team from feature function, or if they're struggling to drive revenue? That you say, look, you need to focus on these three things. Yeah, sorry. All right, I'll I, I give you two. I mean, we've talked a little bit about one of them, which is focusing people on their business problems, understanding why. You know, the best question is, why are we on this call? Why are you calling me? What is the motivate the real motivating factor? And truthfully, if you don't hear it, and this is really like this is important. 
If you cannot identify a burning problem that your product can solve, you're probably not going to make the sale. And if the customer can't articulate it, they probably don't know why they're going to buy. And in the end, you're going to go through and wave your arms and they're going to say yes, yes, yes. And in the end, they're not going to make a decision because the business problem isn't big enough to make a change. So it's imperative that you understand what's driving their, their problem, why are they talking to you, that your product can meet that need and it's a big enough problem that will move them from their current state because you know what? Doing nothing is way easier than doing something. Right? Half of the time, these people decide, well, I'm just not going to make a decision. You know what? Not making a decision often, not always, often is they couldn't get over the hump like this, I didn't really know what my problem was, or this product really didn't solve. So you've got to get to the essence of the problem. And the third thing I'd say, and then I want to, I want to segue, the third thing is, is I really feel like there is a, a culture, a, a culture issue in your sales team. And I realize as sales teams get bigger, this may not hold. But the one thing that we found is that if salespeople realize that they're competing First of all, they're competing with themselves, right? They want to get better because they want to close more and close more quickly. At the end of the day, vast majority of salespeople are compensated on their own performance. If I'm a salesperson and I can learn something from Jim or Sally that, or a book or a podcast or from Keenan that will give me the edge, I want to know that, right? So I, the very best group of people that you can get coached by are your colleagues who are going to tell you, yeah, I ran into that problem with that sale and I solved it this way, or I said that and it didn't work, or, I mean, we've gotten to the point where we, we, we have even, um, there's certain phrases that people say, you know what, when you get this question, try these words. These words work really well. That's really nuanced stuff because in the course of an hour demo, you know, if you have a playbook around around generally things that are difficult for salespeople to, 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 to accomplish, and you get it because your team is collaborating with each other, I, I, I think that makes a big difference. So there's a culture part, there's a business problem part, there's a separating discovery from the demo. Uh, those are three big ones, I think. Okay. You, you also talked about in the very beginning, and we've we're, we got, we got a little more time, I'll make sure we get it all in. You talked about the idea of not being able to know what's coming next. Yes. Uh, Can you tell what's coming next? And what yeah. did you do to pre create that predictability in your sales team? So this is, I'm sorry that it took so long to get to, get to this place. So when we started, we had no such thing as a pipeline. We had something like 25 opportunity stages. We had no real sales funnel. And what we did to tr first transformation is to understand the essence of the sales cycle to, 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 to its essence, like four or five stages, and to assign a probability to close against every one of those stages. Most salespeople know that when you get into a contract negotiation, you're probably at 90%. Hardly anybody wants to negotiate a contract with a lawyer unless they're really going to buy. That's a pretty big predictor. But after a discovery call, your likelihood of closing that call is very low because you don't know the customer's never even seen your product. So we created, um, and truthfully, look, we use Salesforce, right? So we use Salesforce opportunity stages. We create a pipeline. We, and the other piece of it is we ask the sales team 
to create their own commit for each quarter that they own, that they predict, and, and we have weekly meetings where the team meets and they talk about where they are in their, in their, in their month and in their commit. So we created a whole lot of metrics around how the sales stages go, what does the pipeline look like. We now have metrics for everything. We know percentage of discovery calls that convert to calls, percentage of calls that convert to demos. We have all of this mapped out and we monitor it like crazy and those are the things that allow me to sleep at night. Right? Those so you, are the things. So you manage to those things. You manage to those. Right? You manage to those metrics. You hold people accountable. So interesting question. You hold them accountable. So how different does your, from people perspective, how different does your sales organization look from when the day you realize you need to change it, transform it, to now? Is it the, did you turn the same people, or is it different people now? Uh, is it different skill sets? How's the team transition, and what was your biggest aha on that transition? Um, yeah, so the team from two or three years, from the team from two years ago, uh, remember, the team back then was, I think, three. We now have six. No, none of the three that were in the team uh, are still in the team. Um, and, and the folks that we brought into the team um, are, are people that we interviewed around uh, a, a motivation, around skills, experience, coachability, all those things we talked about. And, and they all share, I think, all the things that we've talked about, right? They share a willingness to be collaborative, a willingness to be coached, a willingness to be open. Um, they're very, very motivated to sell. I mean, you know, th th there's a good sort of energetic sales culture. Um, but, but I think the most important part um, is that our, I feel like we never get it right all the time. There's always something we can learn. Look, we do a book group every month or two months. We have a book that the sales team reads. We've been fortunate to invite some of the authors to do webinars with us. We, we share blog posts and articles. There's a, it, it's a, um, you know what? I learned this phrase from uh, Tony Robbins years ago. He calls it, he calls it Kanai, uh, the culture of, 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 of never-ending learning, right? People, the, the idea that there's always something to be learned, there's always something you could do a little bit better, there's always an improvement you could make. And now let me throw in a, let me throw in a, a plug here. So we, we recently, we recently just adopted a product uh, called ExecVision which is a, a fundamentally, uh, it, is a, it is a way for salespeople to record their demos and share those demos with their sales leaders. And, and it has been fascinating for me as the sales leader, and it has been fascinating for the team because in the past, I would ask the team, how did the demo go? They would give me the highlights. They would give me a yeah, good, bad, and, and, we, and I would coach to that. Right? I would coach to that. Now they can say, listen to this two minutes of that call. This is where they said this thing. What do you think is the right approach here? How should I? And let me tell you, it is sort of like peeling back and saying, wow, we can really coach to complex sales problems when you share the exact information that the salesperson is hearing, and you can listen to the words. It's really, it's been... Um, been fantastic, and it's really changing um, the culture um, of our of our um, uh, of our company. 
and 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 you know we're just still in the early days of using it, but um, it, it it I find it to be transformative because you know the work of sales largely is uh, is talking, right? And if you're and if you are coaching to somebody's reporting, you know it's a difference between reading a headline in the newspaper and watching the snippet on TV. You know if you if you if you watch the, the shot at the buzzer, uh, three-pointer with three people guarding, and you see it on TV, your raw emotion, you're going to get a whole lot out of that versus headline, shot at the buzzer, three points goes in. Those two things are vastly different. And so as a sales leader, and also don't forget, the sales team can share with each other. They can say, oh, I did this demo and they ask this question and look at I answered it this way and look at how that person responded. So again it goes to culture, right? We 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 have worked really hard to try to create a collaborative culture where people are continuously learning, coming up with ways and I'll tell you, it it, it sometimes it's spontaneous. I guess this is my my last thing. One of the greatest things that I have uh, observed and, and makes me feel really good is that our individuals on the sales team volunteer to do things that will help the whole group. They say, you know what, we really need this. Let me write that up. We really need this. Let me work on that. Every day, people in certain ways come and they say, we need this. I worked on this. Let me show you. And it's not because I assigned it. It's not part of their job description. It's because they care about the success of the team and they care about their own success. And, you know, that, that's a corporate culture thing. And at the end of the day, and this is sort of, you know, the, 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 you, sales is hard, right? It's really, really, really hard. And so it's hard to get all of that stuff coming from the outside. If you know you've got a, a collaborative environment amongst your sales team that's going to help you win, to me, that, that, is, that is really um, a crucial aspect. And it, I think it makes salespeople happier. It also makes the bad days go better, and quite frankly, when there's celebrations, it makes the celebrations go better. Yes, we Kiki. Have, we have a couple of questions from our audience. Oh, let's oh. do it. So Mike Colella, let's see here. He asked, sales should be more, okay, this is actually a comment. Sales should be more listening than talking, two ears than mouth. But then he wants to know, Gene, what process do you use to hire sales professionals? Recruiters, website, LinkedIn, networking, what do you use? Great, great, great question. Um, I'll try to be fast. Um, <laughs> we, we, um, we're, in a, we're in an advantage position in that the kinds of people I want to work here uh, are people that have an experience, personal experience, and or an affinity or an interest in the arts in some way, theater, music, dance, even music of some sort. So number one, I got to know they've got the passion to do, to work here. Um, we have not found that largely with you know websites, generic websites. We post on industry-specific websites. That's number one. Number two, and this is really important, we came up with a very very structured way of interviewing. We asked ourselves the question. What are the qualities that are most important in a successful salesperson? What are the, what are the nice to haves? What are the critical to haves? We have several rounds of interviewing, not the same people interview. There's an initial group, and then there's another group, and another group. And so we, 
we, we try to expose salespeople at various levels to other people, but we're always honing in on what are the qualities that are going to make that person successful ultimately, because... And, for and you, we, right? For you, for successful us, for, for patrons. Not, not right. successful salesperson, but patrons specifically, correct? Yes. He can, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you when this will be a good joke. Like, when we first started, I thought knowing how to use Excel was a really important quality, right? And we'd ask the question, because I figured salespeople have to do Excel. And the answer is, salespeople don't have to do Excel. That's not a, obviously would be nice, but that's not fundamentally important. So you have to whittle down the real things that make your job, uh, 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 what, what are the things that really make it for you? I'll also say that we always interview, I always do the first interview by video. Um, and the other thing for the gentleman that asked the question, and this is perhaps the most important thing uh, that we have learned all, in all hiring. Our website, you go to it now, patrontechnology.com, go look in the job section. It says in the description how to apply. It says, write a well-crafted cover letter that explains why this job is perfect for you. That means don't send a form cover letter. You'd be amazed how many form cover letters we get. And you want us to think? We don't look at a one of them. Because if somebody doesn't take the time to sell themselves to me, how is it that they're possibly going to take the time to sell my product to the world? So, so first and foremost, set something up in your sales process that is a hurdle. Because if they just click, 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 then it's up to you to go sort out who could be good. Forget it. Make them do some work for you. That wasn't oh, a short answer. That's okay, Gene. That's okay. That was good stuff. So, Gene, and we, we'll ask this one more question in a second. So, you, let's say someone grabs you and says, look, I want you to consult for me, right? And you go into an organization. Based on what you experienced and all the things that you did, what would you tell them are the two or three things to look out for or pay attention to or will be potential traps in trying to transform your organization? Okay. I... I, 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 I the number one thing, I, I, I guess I would say the number one thing I have learned more than anything else is understand the value that your product has in the market, the specific unique value that your product has, and make sure that the people you're talking to have that business problem that your product can uniquely sell to. If you don't have those things, you will blow a ton of time. You will waste a ton of time selling to people who are never going to buy, selling to people who are going to buy somebody else's product, you're going to be depressed. Like, figure out and be ruthless. Be ruthless and look and say, you know what? That customer is never going to buy because of X, Y, or Z. Either they, they don't exhibit the traits of people that are really interested or the business needs are complex in a way that are... So the, the most important part is to understand who you're talking to, understand their business needs, and truly be willing to look in the mirror at your own product and say, can we solve that business need? Can we do it effectively? Obviously, can we make money? And, and then you go try to close that deal. And, and I think on that, our experience is that we lose very, we certainly lose deals that we should have won. But one of the questions uh, that we always ask ourselves is, did the customer make the right decision? In the end, uh, I like bought, that. if they bought from us, did they make the right decision, or if they did not buy from us, did they make the right decision? And truthfully, 
Most of the time, the answer is yes. Even when we don't win, we look and say, you know what? They made the right decision because of X, Y, or Z circumstance. And, and, and sometimes there are outliers, and you lose one that you think you should have won. But anyway, so I only answered one of your things. But I think number one thing is really understand the business problem of the organization you're talking to and make sure that you can, without a doubt, in an overwhelming, convincing way, you can actually fulfill their need better than any of the competition, and you can make that case. And if you do, you should win the deal. Was that I your question? It. I love it, Gene. That was great, Gene. I love that piece. Did they make the right decision? Speaking yes. Of that, I, I got to go to a sales meeting. <laughs> All right. All right. What do you got, Kiki? So Mike has one more question, Gene. I'll send it to you personally. And Mike, if you can drop like your Twitter or um, I think I found you on LinkedIn, but I want to be sure that I'm talking to the right person, so we can get your your question answered directly. Awesome, awesome. Um, so listen, Gene. Oh, sorry. Go, Keek. Well, no, you wrap up, and then All we right. can tell what's up next. All right, Gene. Thank you. This was fantastic, man. I really, really appreciate it. Great stuff. Congrats on all the uh, success you've had. Um, maybe we'll have you back on in a year and you can tell us more about how your exec, exec vision implementation is done and how that's affected sales even more. We didn't even go into the numbers, but because of this transformation, you've seen accelerated growth. You've seen your average, I won't tell people what the personal stuff, but you've seen your average deal size shrink. I mean, sorry, grow. The average deal cycle shrink. You've, created, sorry, you've grown double digits and then some every year, year over year. So you've seen you know, tremendous success, no? From the transformation? All, 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 all those things are correct. I mean, that's fantastic. So well done, brother. Congratulations to you guys. Um, if anybody is here is in the theater space, so if you run a theater, if you run an opera house, if you run a community theater, if you run a museum, you need to talk to patron. They are leading the way from innovation there. So everybody, thank you very much. Kiki, who are our next guests? Wrap right. this up, baby, for us. Peace, right. Gene. Be good, brother. Okay, so up next we have um, on our Taught Leader series, so Keenan wrote this awesome book called Not Taught, um, and he has a really exciting guest. It's, a, it's another Colorado native coming from um, the CEO of Vail Resorts. His name is Rob Katz. He's going to be with us Tuesday, April 6th. Um, I am going to drop the link so that y'all can RSVP straight away. Um, in the chat here, there it is, and he's going to be talking about the correlation between emotional intelligence and success. So it really kind of um, falls in line with self-awareness, deliberate learning, which is all in here, um, just key success principles that you need to start embodying in order to be successful in the 21st century. Um, the next show that we have coming on Sales Jolt on The Word is going to be Mike Peachy. Michael Peachy is the director of sales at HubSpot, and he's going to be talking about coaching for revenue growth and exceeding quota on April 11th. So we hope to see you all there. All right, beautiful Keith. Thank you very much. Great episode 37. Everybody, thank you very much. Until next time, peace. I'm out.